Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Tigers Are Not Afraid is an award-winning film having screened at a number of film festivals where it won Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Script. It has been a highly regarded film, and now it's about to enjoy its feature release here in Los Angeles. It's a haunting horror fairy tale set against the backdrop of Mexico's devastating drug wars. Tigers Are Not Afraid follows a group of orphaned children armed with three magical wishes— running from the ghosts that haunt them and the cartel that murdered their parents. We're joined by filmmaker Isa Lopez, who creates this world that recalls early films of Guillermo del Toro and is imbued with her own gritty urban spin on magical realism to conjure up this wholly unique experience that audiences will not soon forget. And with that, I'd like to welcome to the program Isa Lopez. Isa, welcome to Film School Radio. Hi, Mike. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. I'm super happy to be here. Yes, and I am too. Uh, I just want to um, congratulate you on this film. It is a. These are very difficult films, in my opinion, to pull off because there's all a lot of different factors, but one of the most important is sort of the tonal quality of the film, sort of establishing a look, a feel, and be able to carry that through, and this film does that beautifully. Very curious where this story came from. There are some movies that they just land beautifully in your head the way that, you know, Venus comes out of the waves. <laughs> and there's movies that are created over years and years of one tiny idea uh, fermenting in your mind. And, um, and then a year later, uh, clashing with another bit of information and uh, and then uh, lacking one element of story, and and some years later that element coming together, and that's what happened with Tigers. I I heard uh, during research for a different movie, so I didn't even shoot. I wrote the script. I I developed it for years. That other movie, mm-hmm. and it never happened. Mm-hmm. But many many times, the way those movies um, affect the real world is by fostering the growth of projects that are made, often personal projects. And that's what happened with Tiger. So I went to, to a conversation with a journalist researching this different movie about the origins of the drug cartels in Mexico during the 1940s. And, uh, and, and this guy uh, and I ended up, as always as happens in Mexico, talking about current violence in Mexico. And he said, of course, it's terrible. And, and then there's the problem of the children. And I was completely frozen on the spot because I have never given it any thought to the fact that, yes, it is a war, the drug war. And like every war, um, there's children that are deeply affected by it, that are displaced, that are orphaned, that are harmed. And um, and it's not really in the media. You know, there's an over offer, a huge massive offer of content that deals with the cartels and the drug lords and the horrible that it's happening like that, but the glamour of the trade. But nobody's talking about the children left on the side. And I felt that their story deserved to be told. Later, I heard about uh, parts of Mexico uh, and Mexican cities that become ghost towns because they flee or they disappear. 
And, uh, and those two concepts came together in my mind because I realized that these children could gang together a little bit like, you know, Peter, Span, Peter Pan's Lost Boys, and they could inhabit this ghost house. And that led slowly to genre and fantasy, which has always been a passion of mine, but I have not made a movie that went into genre, and this was a perfect opportunity. Yeah. And that's how it was born. Well, there's so many parallels in European cinema, world cinema, where children have a, develop a kind of a social structure within the context of a film, and we see that play out in the ways and often it is in the aftermath of war or it's during a war or there's some there's some catastrophe that's occurred i'm just thinking about it in in that regard but i don't i can't think of any american films that just jump to mind where you see children in sort of the center of the story and they're the primary catalyst for what happens in a film i mean there's probably some that i'm just not thinking of right now so i find this Sort of a um, an interesting, in my mind, an interesting in the sense that other filmmakers, other fil- f- filmmakers from other parts of the world, are much more likely to embrace and run with a story like this and let it play out in ways that are compelling and uh, emotionally gripping. Um, and yours does. I, I don't know. This is not even a question as much as it is an observation. And I, I just I don't know if that's something that you have considered in making this film in the way that I'm talking about does that make sense what I'm saying it completely makes sense it's um you know there's a bunch of movies that affect me deeply uh as a child and movies and uh, and you know works of fiction and literature but uh mostly movies um that affected me growing up um about uh, how children respond to violence and how their mechanisms allow at least their spirit to survive, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, examples like, uh, there's a beautiful, beautiful movie set in Afghanistan called um, Turtles Can Fly. Mm-hmm. It was not widely released in the U.S., but it's a beautiful thing. And um, there's um, Forbidden Games, which is, which is a black and white movie in the in uh, post-war, well, actually, yeah, post-war in France. Yeah. about children dealing with death. And, um, and I, I, I received uh, these films that affected me deeply. And uh, at some point, those things that, that, you know, take a place in your heart need to be manifested. But it was also, I have to say, American cinema, in a way, is a huge influence on this. There is a little bit of Goonies and a little bit of a Stand By Me. Uh, mm-hmm. Also in this movie, right. it's a really, really twisted version of that. Right. Well, usually it's n- not expressed in this sort of gritty realism in 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 films like yourselves. And I'm thinking, yeah, a number of post-war European films dealt with this idea of children needing and uh, absolutely as a necessity to band together to sur- to survive. And we don't we just don't seem to deal with children's stories in that we tend to sort of infantilize them even more than they are at least fantasize about a reality that doesn't exist. But I'm taking our discussion down a road. I'm, I, I want to get to the, to, the, uh, to the part of this film that I just found so interesting. And let's back up a little bit and talk about the story itself, the, the actual uh, what happens to Estrella and how the story gets going in, in the film um, Tigers Are Not Afraid. What is, what is her story? Tigers tells the story um, of 
um, the clash between a girl left alone, Estrella, and, um, and a gang of children that are also alone but came together. These other children are boys, though. And, and that's an issue in the movie. The thing with Estrella is she comes back from a school, and it's, it's not uncommon at all, sadly, in Mexico, but it, there, was, there was a shootout, not in a school as happens in the U.S., but right outside of school as happens in Mexico. And uh, comes back home after classes are suspended to tell her mom, and mom is not home. Uh, mom has disappeared, really disappeared. Uh, the, the entire movie is told from the point of view of the children, so we never learned what exactly happened to her mom. But uh, we will learn in the movie that she was taken mm. by, you know, members of, of a cartel in Mexico. Um, as happens, women are constantly abducted and, uh, and they disappear. Mm. So mom is gone and Estrella, who earned through the story three wishes that she's convinced are real, uh, makes her first wish for her mother to come back. And mom does come back from the dead. And uh, so Estrella has to flee the ghost of her mother and uh, in fleeing tries to take refuge with this uh, ragtag band of boys who definitely don't want a girl with them because they know girls are a prize for these cartels. And so hanging out with her is dangerous. And But she has, in this case, to earn a position in the gang and they all keep fleeing the violence that surrounds them. So in a way, they're escaping the very real threats of violence in Latin America, and they're also escaping the supernatural threat of escaping their death, their ghosts. In a way, the entire movie and a bunch of the imagery points to it. You can't escape your death. You can't escape your ghosts. They come with you wherever you go. Death comes with you. Yeah, yeah, that is yes. Thank you for that. That that's uh, that that's a great uh, summary of, of how this film sort of begins to uh, yes yes you described the the uh, the ghosts that haunt us, the ghosts that follow us. They are part of our lives, and the one of the strengths of the film is the the cast and uh, how what went into recruiting these different people. Now, Paulo Laura plays Estrella. Uh, and uh, El Shine is played by Juan Ramon Lopez. There are a number of, th- they're, they're good actors in this film. And not only that, but they're able to really give us a sense of the dread that they live in. Tell us a little bit about casting this film. You know, casting is uh, one of the m- most amazing, uh, surprising processes in filmmaking. And I love it, love it, love it. Because it's when the story that you imagined usually a couple, at least a couple of years ago, starts becoming real and manifesting in the world. In this particular case, it was a massive challenge because we, I wanted kids that would give non-traditional cinematic performances. I wanted the movie to have an almost documentary feel to it. It's planned uh, to have the look and feel of a war documentary. And in the middle of it, the elements of fantasy and the visual effects happen, but they have to belong in this world. And in order to achieve this effect, I needed extremely real performances. Working with children is complicated for so many reasons, and we're warned when we're in film school that's <laughs> to avoid it. <laughs> and uh, and I, here I go making a movie with five 
kids and um and a tiger <laughs> so um and a bunch of visual effects with no money whatsoever anyway uh i needed kids that could perform as if they were not actors as if, as if this was happening for real in front of a spying camera and that was a tough one there's a culture of telenovelas of soap operas in mexico that permeates society and especially for young people you know, it's kind of, it's in the back of their head that that's acting what they see and hear in, in, in soap operas. And it affects how they perform, and it's horrible. And it's definitely not what I needed. I, I wanted to find these kids among non-professional actors. And we saw, not me personally, but my, my casting team went through 600 children. And uh, I, I personally saw 200 to slowly get to these final five. And it was both heartbreaking because, you know, all of the children wanted to be in the movie, in movies in general. Mm. And, uh, and they're lovely. And um, they never read the script um, ever, ever. They didn't read a single word of the script. They were given the situation and one scene that, that was read to them once, and then they would improvise. And oh. it was lovely to see kids coming up with, explanations in their their head for the situation they're improvising in the end uh, we ended up with these five and we we casted um against type and going with the energy that they have so we have the leader of the gang the really menacing one and he's a really really shorty uh uh pile of energy but he commands the scenes if you read the script you might think that he's the big tremendous bad boy I was open to change the characters to accommodate the energies of the children, and that's how I found this fight. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and what you said is, is so important, and so important to this film is, uh, I mentioned it earlier, finding a tone, finding a way to express this story in a way that will sustain it for an entire 100-minute uh, experience, and it is critically important that your, your actors are able to find that that um, that place in their performances that that sustain it, and that's one of the strength. Again, another strength of this film is the fact that it doesn't feel like you pulled any punches in terms of telling the story in the situations that we find our, our uh, characters in, and it plays out that way. And it's again, it's just all the better for your your confidence and your ability as a director to do that. And this, these obviously these these uh, actors are critically important to all that. Uh, what do you tell them in terms of what I'm talking about? To set a tone, to find a place where your story is being told in the way you want it to be told. What are you saying to them? It was it was a really complex process. Again, the the kids didn't know the story, which I think is central to to the authenticity of the reactions you see on the screen, because there's you know tremendous hard events to face uh, for the characters. And uh, they're not dissimilar to the actual events that children left to their own means in Mexico have to face. The beauty about working with children is that they will accept at face value the information you give them. Mm -hmm. So uh, when they understood the general situation of the characters, because they, what I wanted for them is to own the character not the story, the character. Mm -hmm. And when they understood the general uh, situation of the characters, they would ask, of course, why? 
why were the, these children alone? Why why was Estrella's mom out of the picture? Why Shaine, the, the leader of the gang, has a burn mark on his cheek? What happened to them? And you tell them the story. And um, while an adult will be completely appalled and, and pulled out of the fiction, a kid will listen to you and go, okay, fine, and then just bring it into their performance. And um, it was interesting. I, I, I was really, really worried about achieving that tone. So I thought about the movies that I felt had that same tone of absolute reality. reality. And I thought immediately of City of God, Brazilian incredible movie. Yes. And, um, and I reached out. I found who was the acting coach that worked with those kids. Those kids were insane. And uh, insane, good, amazing actors, <laughs> I mean. And we found um, the acting coach that was in, in charge of that, and we brought her for a couple of weeks at the beginning of the, of the rehearsal process. Uh, and when I say rehearsal, it's, so fun. it's rehearsal of sorts, because, again, they didn't know the text or the story. And she came, and um, she has um, a technique that um, she has developed about just sensibilization and openness and flow of emotions. And she worked for a couple of weeks with them, and then she left. And I was panicking at that point how I was going to, to get the kids to the story. Because I worked extensively with actors, and I love doing it, but this is a completely different challenge. And this woman, her name is Fatima Toledo. She 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 was a little bit like you know like Yoda like like a, <laughs> like a Jedi master. <laughs> she just looked at me and said, um, "What you have to do is with with a deep Brazilian accent. What you have to do is take them through the emotion yourself. You have to go with them." And that seemed like a Chinese cookie for me at the at the time. You know, <laughs> um, it's definitely not what it's not what you're supposed to be at all uh, to do at all traditionally academically as a director. But, but this is a completely different challenge. And, and I didn't understand at the beginning what she meant, but I, oh, my God, oh, my God, I did get it by, by shooting the movie because I understood, you know, acting fear is one of the toughest jobs uh, for an actor. Fear has to be real fear. You cannot pretend fear. And it's very hard to be scared when you have, you know, 50 people around you, um, waiting with makeup and, and hanging uh, a boom over your head. So what I had to do was work with Paola. You have to earn their absolute trust in you. And I would take her hand and we would, you know, go hide in a little dark place uh, in some corner of the set and scare ourselves uh, witless. <laughs> and okay. the way that you did when you were a kid is staring at each other and making voices and and, and and we would both have to go into fear. And then when she had it, I would go almost like a hypnotist, which I'm not. Like, <laughs> you, you found it. Now keep it inside, close your eyes, come to the set. And when I said action, she could release the emotion. Yeah. And the same with the rage in Shining. And the same with the sadness. I am an orphan myself. I, I lost my mother when I was eight, which is a central part of what Tigers is. Yeah. In a way, you know, I it's a completely different experience, but I know what it feels like coming home and unfinding your mother and never having a chance to say goodbye. Huh. And I could work that emotion with them. And so it ended up being really, really intense emotionally for me and, and um, really therapeutic in a way that, 
that I was not planning to do, but it was it was beautiful and um, wow. and uh, an intense and exhausting. Yeah. But uh, that's that's how I I got those performances that you saw on the screen. Well, I, w- I want to remind our listeners we're speaking to the uh, writer and the director of this terrific narrative film that's coming out here in Los Angeles on August twenty third. It is called Tigers Are Not Afraid, and we're speaking with Isa Lopez. Uh, in the last minute or so I have with you, I, again, this uh, film has won a just an uh, amazing array of accolades on the uh, film festival circuit. Uh, it continues to garner awards. It's also been nominated. And help me out here, um, Isa. At the the Mexican Academy, I'll call it Academy Awards. The Mexican Academy is is yeah. It's it's um, they work with a with the Motion Picture Academy in the U.S. and uh, and it got um, ten nominations. And it, it's quite extraordinary for a for a genre movie to be recognized like this for the Mexican Academy. We were very proud. Oh, you should, as you should be. So it's nominated for a number of awards for, it's the Ariel Awards, which is the Mexican equivalent of the Oscars, for Best Child Actor, Best Child Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Makeup, Best Visuals, Best Editing, Best Sound, Best Script, Best Director. This is just a, a remarkable run. And as I said, the film festival circuits have been Circuit has been very kind to the film, winning a number of awards there. What are the things that, and in this journey you've been on with this film, with this story, what are the things that you're taking away from this as an artist and as a filmmaker? Well, it's been it's been really really astounding. I had the chance through the first the festival circuit to travel with a movie around the world, and I'm that crazy director that in every screening sits down with the audience to watch it again in spite of the gazillion times you watch it in post-production. Because it is absolutely fascinating to see how international audiences, as different as, say, South Korea and Amsterdam and Belfast and uh, Brazil, respond uh, universally to certain cues. And the funny thing is, this is by far my most personal movie. It's deeply Mexican. It's deeply personal. It has to do with the loss of my mother and um, and the way I cope, you know, as a child with reality by using fantasy. And weirdly enough, it's the one that connects the most around the world. It doesn't matter what the ideology or the magical tradition of the country is. And that that's what you learn, that the most intimate you go, the the, the most apparently belonging to a certain particular culture, to a certain particular moment, the more recognizable it is. And uh, and we need to be reminded of this. The other amazing thing is this movie was made, as most of my work, because I was influenced by incredible masters of genre, like Stephen King and um, like Guillermo del Toro, like Neil Gaiman. And um, when the movie started getting the recognition, these guys watched it and and really really liked it and um, and reached out to express their enthusiasm. And the feeling that the people that inspired you to tell a story like this, to become a storyteller, appreciating what what you've done with the tools they basically gave you, one of the most amazing and uh, big satisfactions you can have as a creator. 
That's amazing. That's a great story and a wonderful place for us to say uh, thank you for the film. Thank you for Tigers Are Not Afraid. And thank you so much for your time today here, spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. The film, again, is Tigers Are Not Afraid, and we've been talking to the writer and director of that film, and that would be Isa Lopez. Isa, come back anytime. I'd love to talk to you about your work. You have you have made a number of films, and I am uh, I am ashamed that I have not had you, had you on before now because uh, it looks like just a, you're you're a terrific artist. And congratulations on on the film. Thank you so much, and don't be ashamed. They're hard to find in the U.S. <laughs> Let's hope that changes with the next ones. And thank you, I uh, thank you, Mike. I, I would love to come back. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Caspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.